Yeah, keep clapping. You're good at it this morning. Scott, we're going to defeat evil and defeat sin. Defeat yeah, you said defend. defend. Lord, may we defend evil. I knew you was worked up, brother. Uh, don't worry. I'll get about, I don't know, six out of ten words wrong in this sermon, so don't worry about it. Take your Bible and turn with me. We're going to defend evil. Praise the Lord. All right. Look with me at second, the book, turn in your Bible, I got to stop, second Timothy, okay, we're going to be in chapter one, our sermon title, control, freak, fear, you know, fear, you know, ah, there you go, and listen, people are afraid of a lot of things these days, and as we're talking this morning, uh, there's, uh, I think there's probably more fear in the world right now than any time in my life that I remember, I think it bothers more people, uh, what bothers more people than anything is losing control, we like to be in charge. We like to be in control, and we, and we lie to ourselves and say that we are. But as we get into this, let's start with God's Word. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 7. Let's look at it together. It says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Church, why don't you say that with me on the count of three? One, two, three. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now look at your neighbor and ask them, say, do you have a sound mind? Now some of you know they don't, amen? We're going to straighten that out right here this morning. Now we all get afraid sometimes, don't we? We get scared. There's, there's things that, that frighten us and, and scare us. Now you, you might, I, was, I shared with the early service, and I'll share with you guys. You might, there have been some bad rumors about me going around, and I want to talk about them right now. There's this rumor going around that I'm afraid of snakes. It's true. Amen. Every word of it. I'm afraid of snakes like I am the devil, right? And I just cannot even comprehend the fact that you like them. Some of you have snakes in your house, you big weirdo. Amen. I mean, the Lord loves you, but I don't understand you. You know what I'm saying? And as some of you, I know people personally, they've gotten snakes as pets and they lose them in the house and they never find them. Amen. Yeah, uh -huh. That's why I don't go over to their house. Amen. Brother Marcus, come over and meet with us. Not likely. They got a snake in the house. I even got a sermon. I remember the first sermon I preached here at Grace Baptist Church. It's called, Don't Let the Snake in the House. Amen. We don't need to let the snake. Matter of fact, you're not going to let Brother Marcus in the house if there's a snake loose. I'm scared of snakes. Are you afraid of anything? Especially all the tough guys in the room. I'm not scared of nothing. Don't lie. Have you ever been coming home and every light in the house is off and maybe the porch light's not on like it usually is? And you're fine. You're a bad man. You're strapped, right? You're a Second Amendment guy. And so you're not that worried, but you know. You get that creepy feeling going in there. Anybody ever get that creepy feeling? Come on, church. Anybody? You just like, you like, this is it. This is the one time the axe murderer is going to be in my house, right? And then you, you're not having, you, I, I did this once. <laughs> I just went straight in like this. <laughs> and I, I just knew it. Somebody's in my house. I went straight to the shower. I thought he's going to be behind the shower curtain. <laughs> I don't know why, because that's what they do in the movies, man. I was creeped out pulled back and I was like that's what I thought and Alicia's like what are you doing I was like I don't know she were you scared I said no had a creepy feeling right the truth that's not really what we're talking about this one the truth is many of you here you're living with what the Bible calls an anxious heart you have an anxious heart and there's a heaviness about you there's something weighing you down there's something getting to you man it's difficult for you to cope 
difficult for, uh, to do what God wants you to do. In your heart and your mind, there's something that's bothering you and something you're worried about and you can't control it and it's getting to you. It's what the Word of God calls an anxious heart. Matter of fact, Proverbs 12, 25, look at this verse with me. It says, anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. It weighs you down. Maybe you feel weighed down today. Maybe you feel weighed down most days. Let me ask you. So as we're talking about this, this idea of this anxious heart, let's take a little survey and see if this applies to you. Some of you, maybe you're kind of thinking, oh, I'm not, I'm tough. I'm not afraid of nothing and, you know, or whatever it is. I don't have any fears or worries. Well, see if you can answer these questions. The first one is, do you get rattled when things don't go as planned? Do you throw what granny used to call a hissy fit? Do you find yourself worrying about things that you cannot control? Do you lose sleep sometime because of stress? Is it hard for you to turn off your mind and to relax for a few minutes? Do you often think about the worst case scenario? Kind of just run that down in your mind. If you can answer yes to a couple of these questions, the reality is you're living with what the Bible calls an anxious heart. Now, here's how bad I am. I want to be in control. Here. I always drive. I like to drive. I mean, matter of fact, like Jason, me and you used to go somewhere. Hey, man, you want to go? Well, where would me and you go? To the gym. Amen. Listen, me and Jason, <laughs> me and Jason are going to go to the gym and lift weights because we're tough and we're manly men. And we're going to go. And you know what I would say? I'd say, Jason, all right, man, jump in. I'll drive. Anybody else like that? And Jason, no, man, come on, get in my truck, man. Let's no, 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 you get in my truck. I'm driving, right? I like to drive. Any of y'all like to drive, right? I enjoy driving. But the reality is I like to be in control, right? Because if we get in a wreck, it's not going to be because that Yahoo Jason doesn't know how to drive. Amen? It's going to be my fault or somebody else's fault. I like to drive because I feel like I'm more in control. Does that make sense? And we all have this to a certain extent. Uh, the reality is we're never really in control. Never in control. You cannot control other people. Some of you, if that was set you free this morning, if you would believe that one simple truth, that God did not create you in a way that you can create, uh, I mean, that you can control other people. You cannot, you can't even control yourself sometimes, can you? You cannot control everybody in your life. Not only can you not control other people, but you can't control the events in your life. You're never really in control, but we want to be fully in control. And the reason why we fear losing control is because we bought the lie that somehow we are in control. When we're not, we're not in charge. We're not in control in the first place. That's why so many people have just learned to live with an anxious heart. And you think it's normal. You're living with this weight weighing you down, man, because you want to control everything and you can control very, very little. So what do we do? God's word teaches us a couple of principles that if we apply them to our life, we'll have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding and we won't have an anxious heart. Now, take some notes this morning. The first one is this. Write this down. We need to stop with the what ifs. With the what ifs. Now, this morning, as we talk about worrying and fear, we're not talking about being prudent being wise, being educated, if you will, like being knowledgeable, understanding that, that everything we do has consequences and results. That's not what we're talking about, but we're talking about having an anxious heart where we're always playing the what if game, right? What if the economy goes bad? What if they sell my company? What if I get laid off? What if I lose my job? What if he cheats on me? What if she cheats on me? What if the doctor gives a bad report? What if our marriage just doesn't last? What, what if we can't have children? What if we have too many children? 
What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? We need to take our minds off the what ifs of fear. Matter of fact, Jesus said this one time to his disciples. He said, he's saying, look, guys, the world hated me. The world's going to hate you, right? The, the world persecuted me. The world's going to persecute you too. And he said this, look at it in Luke 21, verse 14. He says, they're going to have you standing before them. Therefore, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. Jesus is saying, I'll give you the words. I'll tell you what to say. Ultimately, big picture, what he's saying is, don't worry about it. I'm in control. Don't worry about it. This is going to happen, but I'm not telling you that so that you can worry about it from every day from now until then. I'm telling you so that you'll know you can trust me. I've got you, man. That's what he's saying. Before the situation even arises, we need to make up our minds not to worry. But we focus on the negative. Any sports fans? No? That's weird. Any sports fans? Thank you, brother. Amen. Testify. Okay, any old sports fans? Sports fans? Anybody remember ABC's Wide World of Sports? Right? (laughs) He said, yep. (laughs) Listen, what was it? The thrill of victory and the what? agony of defeat. For the life of me, I cannot remember any of the thrilling victory parts, but I remember the agony of defeat, don't you? That skier who's somewhere right now rolling around because I'm surprised if he survived that. Do y'all remember that, the skier? Now, why is that so easy? Why do we remember things like that? Look at this next slide. It's much easier because of our sin nature to focus on the negative rather than the positive. Matter of fact, when you leave here this morning, it will be easier for you to complain about the worship service than it will to be to praise it. It's just easier. And then usually you can kind of get a, you, you know, you know, like, oh, church is okay, but it was too cold. It was too hot. It was whatever. Preacher's too bald. And so, and so it's easy. It's easy to get focused on the negative. It's kind of a default for many people. That's the secret of the success of social media is to keep you miserable. I mean, literally, Facebook and it's, they're algorithmed to make you miserable because when you're upset, you're more likely to engage, to, to, stay, um, to stay on the device, stay on social media, to, you know, to share, comment, like, and all those things. Positive things really don't get that reaction from you. The negative things are what gets you fired up and keep your attention. So they keep feeding you things that will keep you fired up and keep your attention so they can keep that ad revenue coming in. It's a rigged game. It's all about making you miserable. And I think that it's working. We need to make up our minds ahead of time, though. We're not going to focus on the negative, and we're not going to always be worried about the what ifs. Now, I used to be a lot, I'm so much better at this now, but I used to not be so good. I used to worry about the what ifs. My mind would play games on me, man. You know what I'm talking about? Like Alicia, I remember uh, it, was, it was me and Alicia baby and Amber baby Marcus, and when they were little, 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 and, like, and I think I've shared this with you. I think I've told you about this before, but if Alicia was just a few minutes late coming home, like she's at the store or something. It's just like, she should have been here 10 minutes ago. All of a sudden, in my mind, I'm like, well, what if she had a wreck? Well, what if she's dead? What if Alicia died? Alicia's dead. I'm her pastor. Am I going to have to do her funeral? Well, surely they wouldn't expect me to do my wife's funeral. Well, who would do it? I don't know. And, so, and then, and then I, and my mind would just keep going, what if, what if? Well, I'm, I'm her pastor. Can't do her funeral. Well, the church is going to fire me. They only keep me around because they like her. We homeschool our babies. Our babies are homeschooled, and Alicia does that. If I homeschool our kids, they're going to be idiots. So now Alicia's dead. I'm not sure about her funeral. I'm unemployed. I'm homeschooling my children, and so they're going to be idiots. 
And so those two idiots are going to grow up and they're going to give me idiot grandbabies. And then someday my idiot kids and my idiot grandbabies are going to come see me at the homeless shelter because I ain't got no job and I'm a cranky old man and I'm sitting there looking surrounded by my family at Christmas knowing in my heart I'm surrounded by idiots. Amen? My whole life figured out. And then Alicia just pulls in the driveway. <laughs> Everything is okay. Listen, I, be honest. Have any of you ever run something down like that in your mind? What would I do? Listen, tomorrow we'll all go to counseling together. Amen. We'll get this, we'll get this worked out. But we have to make, our, make up our minds ahead of time. We're not going to worry. We're not going to focus on the what ifs. Now, why does Jesus tell us not to worry? Write this down. Because worry never changes anything for the better. I used to say that worry never changes anything, right? Worry never changed nothing. That's not true. Worry changes nothing for the better. It'll make a lot of things worse. Being, uh, worrying will mess with your health, your relationship with God, your relationship with your spouse, your ability to be engaged with people in any meaningful level. Worry never changed anything for good. In fact, in the word of God, most of the time, if you look at the word, if you just run down the word worry in all of scripture, there's a couple of words that are almost always in front of it in your English translations. It's two words. Look at it in this next slide. Do not. When it comes to worry, almost every single time the word of God says, don't, do not, don't do it. Don't worry. Why? Because worry has never made anything better in your life. Matter of fact, Jesus asked this question in Matthew 6, 27. He said, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Right? Some of you be eight foot tall dunking on LeBron right now. If worrying made you. Matter of fact, I think it'd be cool if it did. Like if worrying actually did make you, like Pinocchio's nose got bigger. If like when you worried, you got taller, right? I mean, I'd be 6'6". Six, six, I'd be slimmed out. Amen. This would be all stretched out. I'd look good. Yeah. But what about you? How tall would you be if every time that you worried about something, you grew a little taller and we could all see it? Think about it. Worry has never changed anything at all. I mean, how long are you going to continue to worry about things and even though the results don't change? You can choose to worry and you can choose not to worry. You can't because worry changes nothing. Now, here's the key. I hope you'll embrace this. Write this down. The devil, your enemy, uses fear to get you off track with God. The devil uses fear to get you off track in your relationships. The devil uses fear to get you off track in every area of your life, and especially from doing God's will. Our spiritual enemy, the devil, has got a couple of weapons. His number one weapon is a lie. He's the father of lies. Okay? His number one weapon is lies. His second weapon is to use fear. Think about a scarecrow. A scarecrow in a, in a farmer's field or somebody with a, a garden, they put the scarecrow up. Why? To scare away the, the critters, right? The birds. Just keep them out of their corn. They put a scarecrow up. The birds are dumb enough to think that's a person, so maybe they won't get in the corn, right? That's how it works. But think about this for just a moment. If a bird was operating out of wisdom and not fear, if a bird was operating out of wisdom and not fear, every time he saw a scarecrow would be an advertisement. Come and get it, right? Come and get it. When a bird sees a scarecrow, they should think, man, I know we've got lunch right there. We've got supper right there. The scarecrow is just a, a promotion for that. 
The same thing is true in your life with fear. When the devil puts the lie of fear in your heart and in your life, many times that's just a neon light that's saying that God's blessings are on the other side of that fear that's holding you back. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but our spiritual enemy has. And whenever fear enters into my life and I allow faith in God to break through that fear, often God's blessings are on the, on the, on the other side. I could tell you in the ministry as a pastor, whenever I've had to step out in some kind of uh, uh, aggressive leadership move, there's always a little bit of doubt. I mean, my goodness, uh, you know, we're in the middle of the, our building program. You know, we just got started in the parking lot. I remember they first ripped the dirt up. I went out there and stood in the middle of it. And, and for one second, I had some doubt. And I thought, I hope this is right. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I hope these plans are good. You know, anytime I've made a, a, an aggressive leadership move, there's always a, a moment of doubt. But every time without fail, when we allow faith in God to push us through our fear, through our doubt, God's blessings are waiting on the other side. The scarecrow, the fear of the evil one is often an advertisement that God's best is waiting just beyond that fear. Now, before you think I'm crazy and we're up here talking about scarecrows, listen, here at Grace Baptist Church, we preach the word of God. Look with me in Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 5. Like a what, church? Like a what? Scarecrow. It's talking about these false idols. It says, like a scarecrow in a cucumber field, their idols cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot walk. Do not fear them. They could do no harm, nor can they do any good. Verse 6. No one is like you, Lord. You are great, and your name is mighty in power. If you're living with an anxious heart, it's a choice, and it's weighing you down. You need to take your mind off the what-ifs and do this. Number two, write this down. And focus on faith. Rather than focusing on your fears, focusing on the what-ifs, focusing always focusing on what, hap- what might happen, you need to focus on faith Isaiah 26 verse 3 says, you'll keep him in what kind of uh, peace, church? Perfect peace, whose mind has stayed on you. Why? Why? Because he trusts in you. You have peace when your mind's on God. You won't have peace when your mind's on the things of the world. It's that simple. When we trust in the Lord and not in our own understanding and in all of our ways acknowledge him, we'll have peace. When we don't, we won't. Look, here's the bottom line. Look at this next slide. Whenever we're worried and afraid, the truth is, at that moment, we're not trusting God. You can't, be, you can't worry and trust God at the same time. Does that make sense? And so in that moment, you're simply saying, God, I don't trust you. One time, I didn't get permission to tell this story, but I, I did anyway. So Amber Baby, when Amber Baby was really was Amber Baby, little Amber Baby, and she was just getting kind of on her bicycle, just got the training wheels kind of off, and we're, we're at a part, and there's this big hill. And, there's, and, I, and I don't know if you understand this or not, in the psychology of people, many people, they struggle with their relationship with their heavenly father because they struggled with their relationship with their earthly father. Does that make sense? especially in ladies. It's more dominant in in ladies, right? Their relationship with their father. Sometimes that gets carried over to their relationship with their heavenly father. And so even when Amber Baby was a little girl, I was well aware of this. And I wanted her to learn to trust me, right? I'm her dad. You can trust me. And so, and also I wanted her to trust in herself. Does that make sense? And I'm like, Amber Baby, you can go down this hill in this park. And she's like, oh, no, that's too, that's too, I can't do it. Amber Baby, you can do it. Trust your daddy. Would I lie to you? And so Amber Baby got on her bike 
right? And we sent her down the hill, and, 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 and Mama was already down there at the bottom of this big, and Amber baby goes down the hill, and she's doing so good. I mean, I, was, I, I believe I can fly, and just soaring on the wings of eagles, and she just looked so good and graceful, and her little blonde hair was blowing behind her, and then she got to the bottom of the hill. Bam! She crashed and burned, y'all. I mean, it was like a train wreck in that part. I mean, the bike went one way, she went another way, right? And then we're sitting, and I'm like, oh. And then she looks at me, and she turns around and looks at me, and like, it's like, this is all your fault. I told you today. And then I was like, oh. And then I look at her mom, and her mama looked madder than she did, okay? Her mom's like, you're an idiot. She is not evil Knievel. Okay, sending my baby child down this hill. Now, that was a long time ago. <laughs> now, so that didn't work out too good, did it? Right, but I, I would like to think that over the years, Amber, baby, you can trust me and being there for her and helping her and guiding her and all the things you do as a parent, that now she's 21 years old, that she trusts me. Right? That she trusts me. I've got a track record, despite that one bump in the road, the fact that she can trust me. And in your life, man, you've had some spills, haven't you? You've, you've had some near misses. You've, had, you've crashed and burned in life a couple of times. But you've been with God long enough through life to know that your heavenly father is with you and that you can trust him, that he's there even in the spills, even in the heartaches, even in the difficult days, that your good God is there with you like a good father. The question is, if you're a child of God, the question this morning is, do you trust him? Has he not done enough in your life so far where you know that you can trust him? Faithful, if he tells you that he's working all things to bring about the good to those who love him and called according to his purpose, do you believe him? I mean, let's contrast a couple things. Look at this next slide. Faith brings peace. Worry brings turmoil. Look at this next one. Faith draws you closer to God. Worry takes you just further and further away from God. Look at this last one. Faith changes things. Worry, again, changes nothing for the better. Nothing for the better. So how do we, this morning, not just to be hearers of God's word, but doers? Number three, write this down. What do you need to do? You need to give your fears to God. You need to give your fears, man, your worries, your anxieties, your anxious heart. You need to give it to God, man. And you've heard this, and, and we've talked about fear over and over again this year. I mean, 2020 is the year of fear, is it not? And we've talked about this a bunch this year. But sooner or later, you're going to have to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer. Give God your cares. And by the way, don't take them back. We're good at that, aren't we? Peter said this in 1 Peter 5, 7. He said, casting all your care upon him. Why? Because he cares about you, man. Paul said it this way in Philippians 4, verse 6. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I heard a preacher talking about this and what you need. Some of you need a trusting God box. I mean, literally a box, like a nice little box. You can go to Hobby Lobby and get you one. Look like a treasure chest. I don't know. Get you a box. And some little index cards or something that you can write on. And every time, and for instance, maybe, you're worried, maybe you worry obsessively about finances. You're always worried about money and finances and, and all of that. And you need to learn how to trust God with your finances. Maybe you just need to write that down and put it in your trust God box. 
And then maybe you're worried about your children or your kiddos, right? And, or your grandchildren. Of course, you should be praying for them and all of that. But you're just, you know you have an anxious heart when it comes to your loved ones. Maybe you need to write that down and put it inside the treasure box. And the next time that you decide that you want to worry, that you're tempted to worry, maybe you need to physically go over to that treasure box, open it up, and take it out as a physical example that you're not trusting God. God, I don't trust you with my children. God, I don't trust you with my finances. God, I don't trust you with my marriage. I'm going to take this out and I'm going to worry about it a little. Now, you wouldn't do that, more than likely. But the truth is, that's what we're doing every day when we choose to worry. It's no different when I decide to sit down and be anxious about something that God has control over. It's no different than going to open the box, taking it out and saying, God, I've got this. I got to worry over this or, or something bad is going to happen. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So God, by faith, I can give him my cares and know that he cares for me. Here's what it boils down to. Church, are you with me? Here's what it boils down to. Worry means you're not believing the promises of God. God is a promise-making, promise-keeping God. All the way back in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, they were scared, afraid. I promise you, they were worried. And God made a promise to Adam and Eve that one of their descendants would bruise the head of the serpent, that old devil, and take him out. That God was going to send somebody to make everything right. And God keeps his promises. And many years later after that, God spoke to a man named Abraham. He said, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you, and you're going to be a blessing to the entire world. And Abraham believed God, and God accredited it to him as righteousness. And Abraham had him a wife, but they didn't have them a baby today. It was really, really old. But that baby's name was Isaac. And one day that Isaac, he married him a pretty woman named Rebecca. And they had them a son named Jacob. Now Jacob fell in love with a woman. Her name was Rachel. But Rachel's daddy tricked him and he ended up married to Leah, a woman that he did not love. Leah was not Jacob's first choice. Leah wasn't anybody's first choice. She was overlooked. She was taken for granted. Her husband didn't even see her for who she was. She felt so low, her daddy had to trick somebody into marrying her. But God, when everybody else ignored her, nobody saw her, nobody valued her, God saw her, God loved her, and God valued her. She was nobody's first round draft choice, but God chose her. God gave her many, many sons. And one of those children's name was Judah. Now Judah grew up and he had a descendant named Boaz. And Boaz married a godly Gentile woman named Ruth. Ruth and Boaz, they had a grandbaby. His name was Jesse. And Jesse would be the father of a little runt shepherd boy who someday would go on to be the king of all Israel, King David. And God promised to this King David that through him that God was going to establish an eternal kingdom that would never end, that one of David's descendants would sit on the throne forever and ever and ever. And generations later, God through an angel spoke to a little virgin girl and told her this in Luke 131. He said, behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of 
Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. And this King David we talked about is the great, 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 great granddaddy of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, King Jesus, the Savior of the world. Our God is a promise-keeping God. It's the same promise-keeping Jesus who said in Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It's the same promise-keeping Jesus that said in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It is this same promise-keeping Jesus who said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. It is this same promise-keeping Jesus who said in John eleven twenty five, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. It's this same promise-keeping Jesus that said in John 14, 27, let your heart not be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And it's this same Jesus who went out as the Lamb of God, who's coming back like a, li- a lion. He is the soon returning, ruling, reigning, forever victorious King of Kings. And we have nothing to be afraid of, believers, because Jesus said in a Revelation chapter 1, verse number 8, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. And we, as his people, we say, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Child of God, what are you afraid of? Let's pray. Father God, I just ask that you speak into our hearts. God, that you, we recognize you've given us a spirit of power and of a sound mind. God, never one of fear. Listen, every head bowed, every eye closed. Be respectful of those around you. No looking around, man. Pray. Pray for your neighbors. For those of you this morning, we're going to have a little application prayer for everybody. You know that you're saved. You know that you're forgiven. You know you've been redeemed. What's our application prayer this morning? It could be simply be, God, when I have worries, when I have fears, God, when I have an anxious heart, help me to give it to you. Is that your prayer this morning? Slip your hand up all over if you agree with that prayer. You want to pray that this morning? Father God, I just pray in the name of your risen son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would apply your word to our lives. God, help us to cast all of our cares upon you. God, I pray that we would do exactly what you have called us to do, that we would be exactly who you've called us to be. God, that we would trust you with all that we have, with all of our hearts. And God, that we would never lean on ourselves and our own wisdom. God, help us by faith. God, to bring our cares and our worries and our anxious hearts to you. God, help us not to look to the world around us for peace, but only to you. Listen, guys, every head bowed, every eye closed. Just a moment. Some of you this morning, the issue is control. Control. The reason why you don't know that you know that you know that you're saved, the reason why you don't know is because you haven't let go. You still somehow believe that it's up to you. Look up for just a second. You've become such a control freak, even in a matter of eternal salvation. You think this. Here's what you think. You think, listen, if I could discipline myself, if I could just be good enough, right, I'm in control, then God will accept me. Even though that flies in the face of everything the Word of God says, the Word of God is clear. If you could be good enough to save yourself, Jesus Christ coming and living among us, that's bad enough. But then the cross is the greatest tragedy that's ever happened in all of humanity. Why would he die if you could do it on your own? God 
can't save someone who thinks they can save themselves. God saves the helpless. God doesn't save the sinless. God saves the helpless. Those who recognize that they're sinners and they can't fix it and they can't do it on their own. They don't have what it takes. And they turn, they cast themselves upon the mercy of our good promise-keeping God who says in his word that anyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. Have you humbled yourself to the point where you've really called on the name of Christ? I don't mean some little Polly cracker kind of parroting a prayer and something you didn't really mean and you're kind of saying it like it's some holy password that's going to get you in. I mean where you recognize that you're dead in your sin, your trespasses, that you're a sinner and that your sin deserves death, eternal judgment. And where you tell God, God, I'm sorry, I'm a sinner. Where you turn from your sin and you turn to Jesus, the only one who can save you, the only one who's promised to save you, and he's our promise-keeping God, that if you turn to him by faith, put your faith in the price he paid, not in the life you're living. And the price he paid on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, that if you trust in him, you'll be with him eternally, forgiven, redeemed, a child of God. And apart from that, there is no salvation. Have you done that? Is that your prayer right now? Do you need to pray to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Let's bow our head and close our eyes one more time. Bow your head and close your eyes. Be respectful of those around you. Listen, you're here right now. You need Jesus. God has you here for this moment. You know it. God has confirmed it in your heart. You need Jesus, man. Why don't you pray to receive Christ right now? For anyone here, listen, we won't embarrass you. We will not single you out. I will not drag you forward. I don't do that. We don't do that here at Grace. But I do want the privilege of praying with you and praying for you. So right now, man, if God's calling and you want to say yes to Jesus, he's already said yes to you. Put your yes with his yes. And you want to say, yes, Jesus, save me, forgive me. Is that your prayer this morning? Just slip your hand up so I can pray for you real quick. God bless you. I see you. Who else? Who else? God bless you. I see you. You can put your hand down. Who else? Anyone else? God bless you. Listen, I want you to pray, even if you didn't raise your hands just then, right there where you're at, in your seat, you and God, man. And again, these words aren't some password or some secret phrase. It's you humbling yourself before your good promise to keep in God and simply say, Father God, just acknowledge, Lord, I'm a sinner. I do dirt and I do it on purpose. But God, I repent. I turn from my sin and I'm turning to Jesus. Save me, Jesus. Tell him, say, Lord, your word says if I call on you to save me, that you'll save me. And I'm calling, save me, Jesus. Tell him, say, Lord, I'm putting my faith in your death, burial, and resurrection, your perfection for all, of that, all the junk that I bring to it, Lord. Save me, forgive me, redeem me. I am yours. I encourage you again, that word of God says that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you just prayed that prayer, you're serious and sincere. You humbled yourself before God, you are saved. And what, what do we do as believers? The first thing that God asks us to do is to follow through in believers' baptism. We had a young lady do it in the first service this morning. You can come this morning and we'll pray with you and rejoice with you. We'll schedule that time for you. Baptism is where you come. And you identify publicly with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a step of obedience and a step of faith. Maybe this morning you recognize that you've prayed that prayer. Maybe at one of our other services at some other time. But you've never taken that step of faith to follow through in believer's baptism. Why don't you come this morning? We'll schedule that time for you. Joyce with you. Pray with you. 
Maybe you recognize that your salvation and baptism are out of whack. In the Word of God, we get saved and then we get baptized. So many people got that out of order. You can get that right. You need to, to walk in obedience. You can come this morning and we'll schedule that time for you. Maybe God has been speaking to your heart about being a part of the Grace Baptist family. This is where you get fed the Word of God. This is your church home. And God has called you to serve right here at Grace. Why don't you come this morning to make it official? Maybe uh, this morning there's something else that's on your heart, on your mind. Maybe there's something you need to bring to the altar and lay down and never pick up again. Maybe this morning you need to give your anxious heart to your good God and ask Him to forgive you for the sin of worry. Whatever it is this morning, I want to encourage you to do business with God. He loves you and He's our promise keeping God. Father God, we surrendered this invitation to you. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with me and you come? Don't wait.